Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to the book of Job, Job chapter 38, and reading for our text, verse 11. And said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stained. Job 38 and verse 11, really flowing forth from the 8th verse, who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud ways be stayed. A very vivid illustration, a very familiar one, to stand on the seashore, to see the waves of the sea beating upon the shore, and yet they don't come right over the shore. There is a bound for it, and we expect it as the tide goes in and out, it has a predictable uh, rise and fall day after day. And God says that he has set that bound so that it doesn't go over the earth as it did in the days of Noah. But set before us here is a God a God that restrains. Right the way through this chapter, God is speaking to Job and challenging him one question after another as to whether he is able to do the works of creation, either at the beginning, whether he was there, or whether he's able to maintain it. The effect of reading such a chapter should be for us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and also to be reminded of what God is able to do and especially what is uh, before us this evening is God's restraining hand. It is thus far and no further. There are limits that are set by God. This very book really begins with such limits. We have the beginning where Job is set forth as an upright man and one that fears God. There was no reason, uh, and God is very clear in this to Satan and to us that read the word of God. There's no reason in Job why the Lord should bring or allow to be brought all the trouble that came in Job's life. But it arose from Satan's accusation that Satan felt that the only reason why Job feared God was because he'd hedged him about. He'd put a restraint, as it were, so that no evil could touch him. He had blessed all that he had and he'd put a hedge round about him. So in one sense, the whole start of the book of Job 
is through Satan perceiving God is preserving one of his people. He has power over all of those things that could affect Job, that could uh, take away his goods, take away his health. And Job is saying, you, you take those things away that he has and he will curse thee to thy face. And that would be true for natural men, true for millions. But where the grace of God is, and the Lord permitted Job to be tried in this, to show to Satan and to show to us the effect of God's grace and keeping, and one that is not just looking to time, to riches, to health, to strength, to serve God, but serves God because he has the fear of God and loves God and would serve him even if everything was taken away. And Job then was put to uh, this great trial. But we find in the first two uh, chapters, as God then gives Satan permission, firstly it is to touch all that he has, uh, but there is a restraint to be put upon that. In verse 12 of chapter 1, the Lord uh, said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So God gave him permission. He needed God's permission before he could do anything. But when God allows Satan to touch Job's family, his goods, his wealth, his cattle and all that he had, his buildings, he still restrained that hand so that Satan didn't have, as it were, a free hand. He couldn't just keep going on destroying further than what God had given him permission to do. So in that first chapter, the no further is that it was not to touch him. He was not going to be ill. There was nothing going to be in his own body. He would see everything around him, others afflicted and even dying, his children, but not himself. Then in the second chapter, Satan has even more accusations and he says that all that a man has will he give uh, for his uh, life. And his thought was, well, if then Job was to be touched, if he was to have affliction and sickness, then he would then uh, curse God. So again, the Lord did give him permission. And uh, he, he said, again, the Lord said unto Satan, verse 6, chapter 2, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So again, there is a restraint. Satan is allowed to go so far, but no further. There is a restraint to it. And so we have this trial, this great trial that Job comes into. First his friends sympathise with him, but then they start to accuse him because the trial goes on and on. They feel... There must be something that he has done wrong. Uh, they are not able to point out why or give a reason, but they still accuse him. 
and they can't convince Job. So then Elihu, the younger man, he waits till the older three friends are finished and then he speaks on God's behalf. And then after Elihu, the Lord himself uh, answers Job and, and speaks to Job. And it is in this chapter that we've read that the Lord is speaking to Job. But one of the great themes that is right through then the book of Job is God's hand, God's hand in, in tribulation, in trouble, great trouble, and how he causeth it uh, to come. He causeth these things to uh, happen and, and, and to come about. In verse 13 of the previous chapter, chapter 37, Elihu said, He causeth it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. But what a, a comfort that this is for the church of God, the people of God, to see not man, not Satan in control, but God in control. But not only God in control, but God who appoints things to come. In the world ye shall have tribulation, our Lord said, in me ye shall have peace, but in the world ye shall have tribulation. That troubles will come, that afflictions will come, is very certain. And God is appointing those. They don't come by chance. They don't come uh, without the Lord's permission, whether it be that we can trace it to being a natural reason, something of nature, an earthquake or wind or flood or whatever it be, or an illness, or whether it be man that seems to be man is in control and he rises up and he causes wars and troubles and conflicts or maybe personal attacks upon us. Those things we are told the Lord permits, allows, he's not the author of evil, but when they come, he is able and he does restrain them. When we look at an overall view, we think of what a amazing power and skill that God has to be able to use even those that hate him and hate his people to perform his will and yet what he gets them to do or permits them to do, he is able to measure exactly how much and nothing more. You know, he doesn't just let them go and then that they just go without restraint. Very often, and we go back to the illustration of water, if there is a breach in a dam or something like that, then as that water goes out, it's well nigh impossible to, to restrain it or stop it unless there is that provision with sleuths, gates or whatever that is there beforehand. And... Uh, we are warned as uh, meddling with trouble that we are to avoid that trouble before it can be and contention before it even begins because we don't have that power to restrain it. 
but but God does. And so we have our Lord speaking of creation. He speaks of all things that are under the hand of God. It's interesting when Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, goes to those on, on Mars Hill and he speaks to them of the true and living God. They had an altar uh, to an unknown God, but Paul would introduce them to uh, the true God and he uses again uh, of this uh, attribute of God that has, who has control over all things. And in verse 26 of Acts 17, we read, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, where they should live. We know, of course, with the children of Israel, God gave them uh, Canaan, and he appointed by lot, which had to be determined by God himself, where each tribe should be in the land of Israel. And so with his people, where they are to live, where they are to abide, where their dwelling should be, those things are all appointed by God. And Paul uses this to illustrate the true and the living God. He says that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And he even appeals to their own poets, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And then he points unto them to the true and the living God and exhorts them that this is the time that we are to repent and to seek the true God, not to idols, but to the God of salvation. So I want to think of the word that is before us this evening, particularly applying to the troubles and tribulation, that which the apostles said to the disciples, ye must through much tribulation enter the kingdom. And it is a truth in our text that should be of a great comfort and use to the people of God. Now there are three parts to our text which I use as the text is broken up. We have hitherto shalt thou come. The Lord appoints with these tribulations shall come and they shall come to a certain place, a certain level. And then secondly there is the prohibiting them from going any further but no further, but no further, a bound set to them. And then lastly, there is a place 
where those proud waves be stayed, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. As if the emphasis is in a specific place, that which has been appointed to be done has been done, and so here in that place it is stayed. But firstly, God appointing, Hitherto shalt thou come. Our Lord spoke as he came to Calvary that this was their hour. This was that time that he would suffer. And he testified to them that was to take him, that they had no power at all except it be given them from above. In the garden, when they had the swords, our Lord restrained their hand and said, Thinkest thou not that I could pray my Father? He would presently give me twelve legion of angels but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Very often when we have subjects like this, or especially with the hand of man and the hand of God, those delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain, we can see at Calvary so much of the truths of God that are a comfort and help to us. If in the offering up of the sacrifice where sin was put away, we see God exerting this power that there should be a permission for the Romans, for the Jews, to have their sway thus far. The Son of Man goeth as it was appointed him. But woe be unto that man by whom he is betrayed. It was an appointed path. But what skill, what wisdom, what appointments there is in God that should so cause it that he has, our Lord has three years of ministry those times they took him to the brow of a hill to cast him down, but he went through the midst of them. And we read that his time was not yet. And so because it was not yet, they couldn't take him and they couldn't bring him before their rulers. But there was to be a time that it would be so. And the Lord caused it to come. When the apostles later on were in tribulation themselves and they were thinking back to Psalm 2 and also to that which the Lord endured in Acts uh, chapter 4, uh, we have them saying this, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, is verse 27, chapter 4 whom thou hast anointed, both Herod 
and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now the apostles were also having persecution and those rising up against them. And so they add, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And so the apostles had mindfulness of what the Lord went through, his sufferings, his death, the appointing of man, yet not taking away the guilt of men that were used to falsely accuse him and to bring him to the crucifixion. Our Lord's path was appointed, the apostles could see, their own path was appointed as well. Our Lord's path worked a the salvation of the people of God. It brought about that which had been prophesied right from the beginning, the bruising of the serpent's head because uh, the seed of the woman should bruise that serpent's head. Our Lord should come and in death put an end to death. And what was to be done, what was to be accomplished, the permission, the ordering of it was of the Lord. Hitherto shalt thou come. And there's another aspect in this as well. Not only is it a permitting, an ordering of it, but it is an ordering. It is, as it were, a command that when the Lord determines that trouble or tribulation, afflictions, are to come, they will come. And no man can restrain it or hold it back at all. Remember the most solemn account of the end of Ahab. When Ahab was to go into battle and he wanted to hear from prophets whether he would prosper or not. His own false prophets, they said, 400 of them all in agreement, go up and prosper. But then Jehoshaphat wanted to hear from a prophet of the Lord. And Micaiah, after really reproving the king in a mocking way to agree with his false prophets, the king knew. Uh, he said, how uh, many times should I adjure thee to only tell me the truth in the name of the Lord? And yet he before Ahab before had said to Jehoshaphat that he hated that prophet because he never spake good but only evil to him. He obviously heard him many times and, and yet did not obey him. Yet there must have been that fear and that thought that maybe what he would say would come to pass. Micaiah had said, in effect, that Ahab would be slain in that battle. But Ahab tried to get round that. Yes, the prophet may have said it, 
But he says to Jehoshaphat, you wear your robes. You appear to be a king. I'm going to disguise myself. I'm going to be just like an ordinary soldier. And yet God saw through that. And God used a man just to get a bow and arrow and just shoot it into the air. And it found out Ahab through the joints of his harness. A bow shot at a venture, shot at nothing, just shot. And the arrow found its mark. God made sure it did. And all of Ahab's efforts to get round what God said would happen were of no avail. And we must remember that. And especially when we think of what we are told, that we must die. We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man shall give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. And whatever we do will not change what God has appointed. God has appointed men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And the only way is through the gospel through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, that we can escape that wrath to come and in the judgment lift up our head and not in our own righteousness but in Christ stand faultless before his throne. Again, it is in the sufferings and death, the crucifixion of our Lord, that the hope of the people of God is to be found. Many, and Paul despaired of this with his own countrymen, they were ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own. And what they were trying to do was to get round God's judgment, but in a way God had not appointed, in a way that would be ineffectual by their own works and their own deeds, by deeds of righteousness which we have done, those deeds and our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And God then has appointed one way of salvation through his beloved Son, and all other ways lead to ruin and death and hell. Hitherto shalt thou come. With the people of God it is often proved true that they have been chosen in the furnace of affliction. And whereas many afflictions and troubles make them hate God and turn away from him, for his people he makes it work for good. There's nothing inherently good in affliction and sin and in trouble that comes because of sin. But when God makes it work for good, it does work for good. And many can testify of how that they have been brought to find the Lord and being converted through great troubles that have come in their lives. Even John Newton, that hardened and wicked slave trader, the Lord used a storm at sea, of which you might think, well, a mariner that had been used to the sea, how could ever he be touched by anything that happened in the sea? And yet, of course, in the scriptures, we find the fishermen 
our Lord's own disciples, so fearful and afraid of sinking on a lake that they knew very, very well. And they cried out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And so may we truly remember that the troubles that come, the Lord is in this day of grace able to make those work for good and that in them there is a hope that there shall be, though the flesh dislikes the way, faith will approve it well, a hope that in this affliction God will bring out trouble. Often marvel at that with Elijah in the days of the famine, again in Ahab's day, and the widow of Zarephath, she's seen perpetual miracle of the oil not failing and the meal not failing. And yet those wonderful miracles, they did not touch her. They didn't seem to make any effect on her, but then her son died. And Elijah was the means of bringing that son to life again. And she says, when the son died, art thou come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? Wherever there is a true conversion, there is a true conviction of sin. There's a bowing down before sin. And it was through the death of her son that her sin was brought to remembrance. But when she was shown mercy and the son raised up, then she said, Now I know the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. She knew that he was a true man of God. I believe the Lord used that because our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, he refers to that widow of Zarephath. He says that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, but he was not sent to any but that widow of Zarephath and implying that it was salvation, it was a blessing, sovereign blessing to that dear lady. And so many can uh, trace times of blessing when there is an appointed hitherto shalt thou come. Thou must come to this point. I want to look secondly at that but no further. A restraining hand. A restraining God, a restraining hand. We might feel that there are things out of control in our lives, whether our own sin, our vile affections, our thoughts. We may think that there are things that other men and women are doing and it is out of control. They're just doing what they want to do or there doesn't seem to be a hand upon them at all. We certainly warned in the latter days there shall be men that are implacable, they're incontinent, you can't reason with them, they can't be stopped. But under God's hand, they can. And he says, but no further. The illustration here is one actually seeing these waves coming. 
actually seeing these troubles, seeing them advancing, seeing the threat. It's not imagined, it's not just spoken, it's seen. But then there is but no further and a restraint. We read when David numbered Israel wrongly through pride or, and not dealing with it as according as the law demanded that when in a time of peace the Israel was numbered that they should pay into the sanctuary for each one numbered. We don't read that that was done. But there was given to David the choice of what tribulation should come, what uh, punishment should come. And he chose not to fall into the hand of man, but to fall into the hand of God. And God sent those three days of pestilence and the plague. And at the end of that day, the Lord said, it is enough. And he commanded the angel to put up his sword. It wasn't just allowing there to be, might say, a plague in the land, a pestilence in the land, and he got out of control. It wasn't out of control. God could control it, and God stopped it and said that it was enough. And we need to remember this in many aspects of our lives, but especially if we have found in any small measure that Job is in. And remember in our text and the part where we are in Job, he's right in the midst of it. But there is a command with the Lord, no further. And may we remember that, whatever your trial is, and mine, and tribulation, and trouble, or affliction, where the Lord puts a limit, then it cannot go past that. It must stop, it must remain at that point, and no further. But then lastly, we have a here shall thy proud ways be stained. A place where it is stained is not just with the Lord, just a whim or just a desire, well, now is the time to stop this affliction or this trial or this dark period in a person's life. No, there is a specific place uh, here. Here is the appointed time and place where it shall be restrained because the work is done, the effect has been done, all is accomplished. When our Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood, praying to his Father three times, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. But that cup had to be endured. He had to go through it. But that part in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says it is, it is enough, that the hour is at hand, arise, let us go hence. 
what had been done, the laying of his people's sins upon him was done. It was accomplished. And now there was a moving to the next part. The children of Israel with their wilderness journeys were at Mount Sinai and they had to remain there receiving the law of God for a period of time. But then the Lord says, "Ye have compassed this mount long enough. And so they had to move on. What was done was done. It was accomplished. And we are to remember that as well. The Lord does not crush underfoot the sons of men. He doesn't delight in their misery. But what he does is for a purpose. Him writer says his purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And we are to remember there is something to be accomplished. There will be a here. There will be not a, only a hitherto shalt thou come, but a hitherto hast thou helped us, and an Ebenezer set up. With our Lord Jesus Christ and with Lazarus, sometimes we think the Lord has got it wrong and that he's left it too late. With Lazarus, it was said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind cause that this man or Lazarus should not have died? The thought was, and perfectly reasonable, that now was too late. He could have healed him while he lived, but now he was dead. How could he help him now? But he raised him from the dead. The two on the way to Emmaus were the same regarding our Lord. They said, we trusted it should have been he that should have redeemed Israel. Their hopes had died when they thought the Lord had left the matter too long. No doubt when they heard others saying, if thou art the Christ, save thyself and us, come down from the cross, that they thought also, well, surely this is what he will do. This is how he will triumph over the grave and over the cross and this is how that he shall be seen as the uh, true God. That they understood not that actually he had to go through death and rise again. And the Lord said, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written or not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. We sometimes think, surely the Lord's left it too late. And Solomon thought with King Saul, he, le- he thought that Samuel had left it too late to come and offer his offering, and so he forced himself and offered it. Abraham thought the Lord was too late in bringing the promised seed, so he took Hagar and they had Ishmael. How many times man will think, The Lord said, your time is always ready, but my time is not yet. Because what has been appointed to be done has not yet been done, has not yet been accomplished. But may we remember, God has given the command for the thing to come. He has given a command that it shall not go any further than what he has appointed. 
And it is he that is appointed a here. Here shall thy proud ways be stayed. And may it be so, we each have a here. And as a church and people here at Cranbrook, may we prove that. May this be a here. Here shall thy proud ways be stayed. It's a blessed thing when the Lord blesses the house of God, the preaching of the word, and in the sanctuary there is the blessing. Well, may the Lord bless this word uh, to us. May he apply it to us, especially those in tribulation and trial at this time. And hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud ways be stayed. Amen.